So Money episode 956, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Madison Hopkins. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Friday, October 25th, 2019. Got some news to share. I've got my Halloween costume. It's been a while since I've really been into Halloween. I haven't put on a Halloween costume really in a, a number of years. Even though I have small kids, I've, I've managed to get away with not being that parent that has to also put on a costume. But this year, my son specifically, who's five now, he specifically asked me to wear a costume and my husband as well. So he has selected for me Edna Mode from The Incredibles. We picked it out on Amazon the other night. It doesn't get as simpler as Edna Mode. I mean, she's pretty much a very straightforward character with the big glasses, the big round black glasses, short haircut bob, a sort of like moo-moo-ish dress. And for me, at my life stage, that's kind of a perfect Halloween costume. Just a few accessories, a big sheet over my body, no you know, spandex or lycra. Yeah, I think she's pretty cool too, Edna Mode. She's very stylish. She's kind of scary. So stay tuned for those pictures on Instagram. I do like October. You know, it's a busy month. It's kind of like a back to school month and back to work month. One of the things I'm really focused on right now is filling up my book to brand workshop, which is happening again, January 27th and 28th. We have a number of excellent people that have already signed up. It's a small group of people that I accept. No more than 10 people. If you're wondering what the heck is book to brand, you can go to booktobrand.co. Not.com.co. Not Essentially, it's a two-day event where I help a lot of times entrepreneurs and thought leaders and experts and specialists understand what it takes to write and publish and market and leverage a best-selling book. So a lot of you listening might have books inside of you. You know, I, I always joke like everyone should write a book. If you're interested in elevating your brand, elevating your business, getting out there in a big way with your big ideas, a book is often a great vehicle for that. And if you're interested in learning more, check out booktobrandworkshop.com. Let me know after you apply that you learned about this through the podcast because I have a very special, huge discount for podcast listeners. Don't be afraid by the price on the website, although that is what many people pay. I'm going to reserve a few spots for podcast listeners who want to come and and give you guys a really substantial discount. So let me know. We're filling up those seats as I speak. Switching gears now to iTunes to pick our reviewer of the week. This is when I pick someone from the review section on iTunes to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. Just got off the phone this week with another reviewer who was debating whether to save more towards her wedding, her future wedding, or a future home. And I think you can guess what I told her. I said, save up for the home, my lady. It's uh, it's just more substantial. You'll be happier. You won't regret <laughs> having money for a down payment on a house. This week, we're going to say thank you to KWT. Ovar, KWT Ovar, keeps my financial life on track. 
This person gave the show a five-star review and says, I started listening to the show during law school and I keep listening to it as a young professional because of the quality of the material. Episodes are never boring and the show really keeps finances at the front of my mind with a wide variety of topics and guests. Farnoosh really seems to care about financial literacy and her listeners. From beginners to those with more advanced financial knowledge, you won't be disappointed. Thank you so much. Get in touch, will ya? Let's have a 15-minute money sesh. Email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv. Let me know you're the reviewer here, and I will reply with a link where you can schedule a call with me. Thanks. This is super. I love knowing that the show does reach a broad audience, you know, that not everybody has a PhD in personal finance. You're all at different stages, and I try to keep it varied for that reason. So I really appreciate that feedback. I'm going to keep working at it. Thank you. And if you haven't listened to the podcast this week, I know a lot of you uh, wait for you know the weekend to catch up. I really want to give a shout out to our guests from earlier this week. On Monday, we had Emily Roberts, who runs Personal Finance for PhDs, which sounds really niche, but... I've heard from a lot of you already that, you know, I'm a grad student. I'm thinking about going to grad school. I'm a PhD. I'm a law school student. I, should I go to law school? If you're thinking about a higher ed degree and concerned about the financial toll that it may have on your finances, you know, because a lot of us do graduate with undergrad debt and then you're thinking about taking on even more debt as a grad student, this episode is for you. Emily has dedicated her career to helping graduates with specific financial advice, and it is much needed. I hear from you enough to know that this is of interest. That's episode 954 with Emily Roberts. Then on Wednesday, we had George Kinder, who's known as sort of the founding father of financial life planning. He's on a worldwide tour at the moment, launching one of his books as one of his many books. And his method has been taught to now 3,000 financial planners across the world. Some of you know about George Kinder. Others are not sure who I'm talking about. He's the founder of the Kinder Institute. He's Harvard educated. He's an economist. And he does something very much appreciated, which is he simplifies financial life planning. He boils it down to just three questions three questions. So if you want to know what those three questions are, check out episode 955 with George Kinder. Shifting gears to your questions, your money questions that have come through Instagram and email. We have a special co-host with us, ladies and gentlemen. We have Madison Hopkins, who is a friend of the show, been listening for a long time now, a millennial. She reached out on Instagram. She followed my directions and boom, here we are co-hosting. Madison, welcome to So Money. Hi, Farnoosh. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and it's such an honor, really, going from listening to you in my car to being able to talk. In your car. That's amazing. It's totally different here in New York City. We don't listen to podcasts in cars. We listen to them in subways and on a treadmill or walking to a park. I know you are right now in Boston working in finance, but you've also got an incredible side hustle. I want to tell everybody about your website. It's called blissedoutdollarbills.com. Tell us about this and what the hope is. So really, I just feel like more women need to know how to handle their money. I feel like it's kind of something not really talked about a whole lot. I mean, really with this website, I just want to get my knowledge out there. Um, coming from working in a large mutual fund company, I have like a lot of investing knowledge that maybe other women don't have access to. And just kind of taking all of that and throwing it into something that's easy and fun to understand. 
What has been the best piece of advice that you have followed in your early professional career and as you've been trying to save money? Being patient is probably the biggest thing because a lot of people only see like the end goal. Um, So I think just being patient with yourself, knowing that small steps are eventually going to get you where you want to be. And to that end, you've got an article on your website called $40 Can Change Your Life and how a little bit of money today saved consistently can add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future with compounding. That's an important piece. And I think you're right. It's uh, not just young people, I think, uh, could use this advice. I feel like sometimes I need to remind myself that baby steps are key and that, you know, you need to have a plan and you got to start somewhere. You got to keep pace and not lose momentum, little steps. And and on that point, like not getting down on yourself, not getting discouraged, because usually you're just going to end up not wanting to reach that goal because you feel bad about yourself. So definitely finding that that balance. What do you think uh, people in your generation think about retirement? It's a hot button topic for all generations, but I was recently at an event and we were learning about some of the new retirement trends. And it seems as though millennials are not that concerned about retirement, but maybe because they've got not a real grasp on what the reality is going to be in retirement and they're focused on other things like paying off debt. But what are you hearing from your generation as far as even what retirement means? Honestly, I think millennials um, and even people younger, like the Gen Z, I think we are really learning from our parents and learning from our grandparents that it is something we should be saving for because maybe we see someone in their 60s or 70s still working and it's like, we know we don't want to be there. So I think we actually are kind of internalizing that and subconsciously we are working towards not being in that place. Um, And I also think there's kind of a shifting of what the retirement age is. I feel like a lot of people are um, realizing it's like, you don't have to wait until you're 60, 70 to actually retire. Like you can start doing things now to retire early, or even just incorporating things that most people have waited till retirement to do like travel or, um, you know, go into their hobbies or anything like that. So I think we have really, um, taken, seen what our grandparents are doing and learning from that. Well, that's good to hear. And you brought up Gen Z, but I'm not ready for Gen Z yet. (laughs) They're (laughs) staring at us with like all the money questions right now or soon will be. And uh, it's important. We got to focus on uh, the the up and coming generation, get them the help they need. In the meantime, let's help our listeners. We've got a question here, Madison from Ben. And Ben wants to know what he should be thinking about as he's kind of concerned about this next recession everyone's talking about. He's only on episode 15 of So Money, so he says he's got a little while to go before he can catch up, but he's kind of freaking out. People are talking about a recession. He wants to know what are some safe ways to benefit financially from a recession. Do you remember the 2008 recession, Madison? You're probably really young, right? How old were you? Oh, man. I'm pretty young, probably like 12 or 13, maybe 14, so pretty young. Yeah, I think a lot of people at this point know my story about the Great Recession. I was working at thestreet.com. They had a big layoff. I was one of the people laid off. But it was also one of the best pivotal moments in my career. So I got laid off, but then I got gainfully employed. It was the recession, so everybody wanted financial advice. And I had just published a book, so I was fortunate to be very busy during that time and essentially kick off my career as a 
as we know it. But to answer Ben's question, a recession can be painful. So one of the best things that you can do now, Ben, in the run-up to this pending recession, which is going to happen one day, maybe soon, maybe later, is to shore up your cash. Start saving your money. Cash is king in a recession. Uh, many banks and creditors get tight with their lending around during a recession. So if you need access to credit, you might have a harder time getting it. So having cash in the bank, that's going to be your secret weapon. The other thing I want to mention is that recession can be scary, right? Because sometimes the stock market takes a huge hit and it can last for a while. So people pull out from the market. It's part of being a human being. We get scared, we react. And sometimes we react irrationally. In the moment, it feels right. But in the long run, it's actually not a good move to pull out of the market. People who did this in 2008 and 2009 are kicking themselves because they missed out on the inevitable upswing. Following the recession, there was a very, very long-lasting boom market. If you'd ridden that, you would have recovered pretty well as opposed to staying on the sidelines and taking that hit. So number one, have cash in the bank. Number two, don't be spooked by the market. If you see it going south, that's actually a good time to buy more stocks because the market's quote unquote on sale. And I would say lastly, that the recession can be an excellent time to start a business because the cost to starting a business tend to drop during a recession. Things like materials and construction and rent and hiring people, it can be a lot more affordable for someone who is interested in starting a business. Another reason to have cash because your cash can go a lot further when you're launching that business. It sounds a little counterintuitive, but a lot of the successful companies that we know about today got their start during a down market. Madison, what do you think? I mean, you seem to be in the same maybe generation as Ben. I'm guessing. Are you concerned about a recession? I am a little, but I don't think it helps to be like overly concerned and worried about it. Um, I think it's more important to have your household under control and your money any, under control. And like you were saying, I mean, if, if you have a plan and you have savings and you've paid down debt, then then you're going to be in a pretty good place when that eventually comes. There's that expression, right? It goes, uh, we're always just one day closer to a recession. <laughs> the point <laughs> so being true. that recessions happen, they're seemingly inevitable. No one knows exactly when they're going to happen, but we're always one day closer. And for me, I just want to control what I can control. Mm -hmm. I can't control external factors, but I can control how much I save. I can control paying down my debt, trying to earn as much as I can, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Next question is from an anonymous listener and she or he is asking about what to do with the stock in their company. This person is considering selling stock and using that money to pay off a car loan. The car loan is at $8,000 with a 7% interest rate. This listener has no credit card debt, although $20,000 in student loans. This person has a Roth IRA and a 401k, as well as a brokerage account. So it sounds like they're pretty squared away with their retirement savings plan. Question is, should I keep or sell the stock to pay down the car loan? I mean, to be honest, Madison, I kind of don't have a strong opinion about this. I will say that personally... I would not be very attached to my company's stock unless I really thought there was a very bright future ahead, that maybe we're in sort of a growth phase. An $8,000 car loan with a 7% interest rate is pretty above average, I'd say, as far as the interest rate goes. I would like to see that knocked down. Do you have a car loan, Madison? I know you said you were driving around. You're in Boston. Yeah, I actually have a paid off car, so... 
I'm all for paying off cars. <laughs> so real, I mean, it really depends on what kind of person they are. Um, if they are risk adverse or a risk taker, um, it also depends on, yeah, kind of what you were saying, what kind of company is this? Is it a startup where it has the possibility of skyrocketing or is it an established company where it may not grow a whole lot? You got to think about is this something where if you did sell the stock to pay off your car and then you wake up 10 years later and the stock's doubled in value, like, can you live with having made that decision? So I really think it's something they they have to decide for themselves. I know they probably don't want to hear that. They kind of have to go off of what they have now. Yeah. And just to do some quick math, so $8,000 at 7% interest, that's about $560 in interest over the life of the loan. Basically, this is what you're going to more or less save by paying off the loan today. You're going to save over 500 bucks. Is it worth it? That's one question to throw back at you and have you think about. And of course, you won't have the monthly payment of this car mm-hmm. uh, once you pay it off. And so there's an opportunity. If you pay it off early, you're going to have that money that you were paying towards the debt. You could put that in the market where you're going to be more diversified, right? So the money that we're talking about here that you're thinking about using for the car loan, it's sitting in one stock. That's not a lot of diversification. If you pay off this loan and then you use that $8,000 over the long run to put back into the market in your portfolios, maybe it's your 401k, maybe it's your IRA. I kind of like that plan. I don't like the idea of having so much money in one stock. Uh, now, it sounds like it's not a huge part of your overall financial plan, but generally speaking, diversification is better than investing in one solo stock. But again, I'm not really hot or cold on this. Think about where your risk tolerance lies, like Madison pointed out. If you're committed also to using this money once you've paid off the debt, using that now extra monthly payment that you're no longer putting towards the debt, putting it towards the stock market, investing it, I think that would be smart. All right, Allison has a question about how to afford medical bills. I just wrote about this actually coincidentally on my blog. And if you go to farnoosh.tv, you'll find the article. I'll also put it in the show notes here, but the title is Five Ways to Reduce Your Medical Costs. Allison's question has a specific nature to it. She has lupus and wants to know how to reduce her medical costs given this condition, which is ongoing. She's already thinking about putting aside money in a second emergency fund as well as a health savings account. What do you think? She says, I think those are great ideas. I think more cash is great having in the bank in case of an unexpected health cost related to your condition. I think having a health savings account be a great way to save and also save on taxes. A few other reminders for you though, there was a medical tax deduction. Every year you can Uh, look into potentially qualifying for this. Keep all of your receipts, all of your out-of-pocket expenses. The way it works this year in 2019, the IRS will allow us to deduct unreimbursed expenses that surpass 10% of gross income. So let's say you make $50,000 a year. If you've got out-of-pocket expenses that exceed 10% of $50,000, you can deduct whatever is over that amount. So if you're, let's say, spent... $6,000 on out-of-pocket expenses, you could deduct a thousand of that. 10% of 50,000 is 5,000. You spent 6,000. The difference is a thousand. So that's what you can deduct. I would also recommend you talk to your doctor because one of the things I have found through my research is that we often lean on our doctors for the best medical advice, obviously, 
but your doctors are also able to help you navigate the financials of your health costs. They can tell you about generic drugs that are that work just as well. They can tell you about payment plans. They can tell you about how to maybe spread out procedures so you can get health insurance to cover most of the procedure. You can make an appointment with your doctor and just talk about your needs to be on a budget and how to manage your healthcare needs effectively given your budget constraints. So talk to your doctor. Your doctor is your financial fiduciary as well as your medical fiduciary. And now I'm going to toss it over to Madison and see if you've got any extra thoughts for our friend. My first thought was I can't imagine, I mean, this is probably something that's not easy to deal with and probably not easy to talk about. I mean, I really applaud Yalison for even asking for help. I think that's a great first step. Um, As far as the money goes, HSAs, I know if you're trying to decide whether to open a new savings account or open an HSA, um, I think HSA would probably be a better option just just in the fact that it's kind of going to make you save money. Like if you set up those deductions to come out of your paycheck before you even get it, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to see that money. You're not going to miss it too much. Whereas if you have just a savings account you're working with, you're going to get all your money and then be like, oh, well, instead of putting in savings, I could spend it on this. Um, So I think having an HSA kind of helps you stay a little more dedicated to keeping that savings up for sure. That's really great advice. You're right. Left to our own devices, we don't save as much as when it is automatically deducted from our paychecks. That's a proven fact. If you're deciding between emergency savings and HSA, maybe do the HSA, you also get the tax break as well. Next up is Missona. Her question is about how to create a budget. She doesn't think she's doing it correctly. She says uh, she takes her and her husband's money and puts it together and subtracts their expenses, but she still ends up overdrafting in the middle of the month. This seems like a really great question for you, Madison, because I know when I was your age, I was all about trying to navigate budgeting and trying to figure out with my quote unquote system. And now I don't really feel like I have to budget because I've kind of figured out where all my money needs to go. And I have a kind of in my head, have a ongoing idea of like what I can truly afford and what I can't. And of course, I check my spending. I check my credit card bills. I check my statements all the time. But I don't have like the Excel spreadsheet that I did in my 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's so many ways to go about budgeting. This is one of my favorite topics just because, I mean, you kind of got to find what works best for you. And, and you don't have to just pick one way of budgeting and stick with that for the rest of your life. I think it's good to kind of... Um, figure out what works best for you. So, I mean, one option would be maybe playing it week by week instead of on a monthly basis. You may be able to get down to like the micro and, and see where all the money is going, what days, things like that. Um, I also found that like cash flowing. So maybe at the beginning of the month, making a rough budget for the month, but then also sitting down each week seeing what you currently have in your checking account and then deducting all the bills that you know are going to come out before you get paid again and then seeing what you have left to pay for groceries or going out that week Um, just kind of to get a more current view of your finances um, going off like the cash flow system. Yes. I think perhaps before we think about the budget, we need to first look at our expenses and be really careful and discriminatory around what we're spending our money on. You know, this is no longer a need. This is a want. This is was a want last year. I don't care for it anymore. Getting really granular with every single dollar that you're spending. I would start with a lot of the expenses that we have on auto pay 
the subscriptions, the, the monthly deductions, a lot of that, you know, we think, oh, it's $9, it's $8. It adds up to hundreds of dollars a month, thousands a year. That's money that you can be putting towards savings or investing or helping to pay down debt, which is more meaningful to you too, perhaps right now in your life stage. It's worth the exercise. And I really appreciate what you said, Madison, about paying attention to cash flow, paying attention to what's coming in and what's going out on a daily basis, especially in the beginning when you're first trying to get a handle on your true spending and your true income. And along the way, think about these benchmarks, right? Housing, don't want to exceed more than 28% of gross income. That's a standard rule of thumb. Car expenses, if you've got car payments, try to keep that to no more than 10% of your income. Try to save 10% of your income in a rainy day account until you have about three, four, five, six months of expenses short up in, a, in an account somewhere. We talked earlier about a pending recession, so very important to prioritize this. I also want to recommend a tool. It's not free, but it's well worth it for those who are subscribed, who really want to nail down their budgeting. It's called You Need a Budget, YNAB. There's an app. It's a website. Check it out. Maybe there's like a free trial you can sign up for and get a feel for it. That could help to really assign every single one of your dollars a duty, a task. It's kind of how YNAB describes it. No dollar goes unspoken for. And you can really work towards goals. So the budget is really designed around your goals with your husband. And that can be really exciting, especially as you're both trying to keep transparency in the relationship. Having an online site like this that you can both reference might be quite effective. Okay, last question, last but not least, a question here from Annie. And she wants to know what to do with a 403B. 403B is like a 401k, often provided by schools, nonprofits, functions in a very similar fashion. Annie's a teacher and she has the option of opening a 403B, she says, with a number of vendors from Fidelity to Vanguard, the list goes on. She's constantly reading, though, that 403B investments are high in fees and commission, so she's a little turned off by the process. She says there's also these commission chasers. They even come into the school, making her feel like she's getting ripped off. Um, so instead, for now, she has a traditional and a Roth IRA, but wondering, should I still open up the 403B and maybe go with Vanguard, which does have lower fees because I think it might be a smart way to invest for my future? Here are my thoughts. I think 403Bs serve a purpose, a really important purpose, which is to save for your retirement. Now, an IRA is great, but it's not going to allow you to save as much from a tax benefits standpoint as a 403B. A 403B, like a 401k, functions similarly. They have the tax deduction benefit, so you can contribute in 2019 up to $19,000. That's going to reduce your taxable income. You're going to be able to contribute automatically from your paychecks which is great because with your IRAs, you have to invest. You have to take that money and make a commitment to saving that money on your own with a 403B and a 401K. These are vehicles whereby your employer automatically takes your money from your paycheck and puts it in this account, takes the work out of it, makes it more likely that we will save. We need those we need all the help we can get, right, to make sure that we save our money. So I like a 403B for those reasons. And bonus, if your employer offers a match, okay, you got to at least invest up to the match. Yes, the, there are fees. Yes, there are potential commissions. But there are more cost-efficient ways to go about it. I do like Vanguard. 
for those reasons. Vanguard gets extremely high ratings, Annie, because of their relatively low fees in the industry. And by the way, 401ks have very similar fees. But if you invest with a place like Vanguard that prides itself on low fees, where you're investing also in index funds that carry low fees, you're going to be able to come out on the plus side in the end. Do you agree, Madison? So, I mean, I I think 403Bs can be great. Partly what you were saying, it kind of makes you save, um, which is going to help you in the long run. Also, with 403Bs versus like a normal IRA, um, you're going to be able to contribute. Most likely, you're going to be able to contribute more per year. So, if you can afford to do that, that's also really beneficial. Um, And also with 403Bs, like 401Ks, sometimes the employer offers a match, and that can also outweigh the fee you're kind of afraid of. Um, But with matches, I would say um, figure out or learn from your HR person what the vesting schedule is because um, you need to know how long you have to work there before that match is 100% yours. So that's a big one to figure out as well and how long you plan on being with the company. Yeah, or school in this case. If you got that matching program, go all in. Free money is really hard to come by these days. It's kind of a no-brainer. And lastly, maybe just talk to some of the teachers in your school, your colleagues, ask them about their retirement program, their plans, how they feel about them, pros, cons, crowdsource it a little bit. Okay. That's a wrap, my friends. Madison, thank you so much for joining us, being the brave soul that you are, reaching out, sharing the mic with me. I want to let everybody know how to get in touch with you. Tell us about your site again. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at madhops 7 um, and then also my website is blissedoutdollarbills.com. Um, and I just want to say thank you for for having me. I've had a blast digging into these questions, helping these awesome people. Um, and just thank you so much for showing up every day, doing the work and actually like creating this space for people. I know so many of us appreciate it. Madison, thank you. Thank you for listening to the show, for helping your peers. It's so needed and we really appreciate you. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions. Keep them coming. Hope you have a great Friday and I hope your weekend is so money. Money.